0: beginning in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is My Banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word. I pray that you would use Dave and his preparation and his service to your church to encourage my brothers and sisters now and show us your glory from your word. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning.
1: In this life, we have many problems. There's the problem of inner turmoil and anxiety. Our bills create financial problems. There are relational problems because of sin. We have problems with our bodies, aches, pains, disease, illness. We have car problems, problems at work, problems at home, problems at school. And we could go on and on. One of our greatest problems is the problem of memory. That's perhaps the most neglected one, and I'm not talking about getting old, though that can cause problems too. I'm talking about how quickly each of us forgets the past faithfulness and power of God when we are confronted with trials. I am shocked how easy... I forget the awesome displays of God's power revealed in Scripture and in my life when I am confronted with trials or temptation. Trials have a way of exposing my weakness, and times of weakness are often met with times of amnesia. When we are faced with trials, all of a sudden we forget that God is greater than all our problems and faithful to his people during the good times and the bad. That's what was going on with the people of Israel, right? You know, they suffered from God amnesia, and as a result, they complained when he blessed them, and they lived in constant doubt and fear. And the problems and struggles of life caused them to forget the God who was faithful over and over and over. Knowing this to be true, God had a lesson to teach them. When faced with trials, you overcome through the power that God provides. So in this story today, God works in a dramatic and strange way so that his people don't forget this lesson. He wants them to remember. And this is a lesson for us too. God has given us this passage so that we don't forget how to face trials even when we are too weak. So let's jump into this story I want to start by looking at the question at the end of the last section in verse 7 because it gives us a window into the state of the people's hearts. Look at that question at the end of verse 7. The people of Israel were asking, is the Lord among us or not? Now remember the last several months in these people's lives. Ten times they had seen the Lord bring down judgment on the Egyptians for their oppression of God's people. They've seen him use snakes, frogs, hail, lice. Right? They saw the Lord part the Red Sea only to bring it back crashing down on their enemies. He's provided food from heaven and water from rocks, and yet they're still asking this question, is the Lord among us or not? They're struggling to remember the recent past. They're suffering from God amnesia. Now I don't say all this to pile on these people, but just to show you the state of their hearts. They're struggling to trust the Lord. Their circumstances have made them tired, confused, and most dangerous of all, forgetful. And it's in this vulnerable state that they are attacked. See that in verse 8? The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. You know, just when they're You know, trying to get by on basic necessities, this happens. Just when they think life couldn't get any worse, the attack comes. The Amalekites were um, a, they descended from Esau, they were a nomadic people, and from the stories we have in the Bible, it appears that they made their living by attacking weak and defenseless people. They were kind of like opportunistic desert pirates. Right? They, they appear over and over again in the early part of Israel's history, oftentimes attacking them when Israel is weak and vulnerable. And we aren't given much uh, detail about the particular attack that happened uh, in Exodus 17, but Moses will retell the events of this day in Deuteronomy, and he gives us more detail about the attack. So let me just fill in some of the detail from Deuteronomy Moses said, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. We've all seen those animal planet shows where you have the cheetah or the lion waiting in the tall grass, hoping that that gazelle with the bum ankle will fall behind the pack. And as soon as he does, they jump out of the tall grass and grab the easy prey. That's kind of what the Amalekites did. They attacked Israel from behind, picking off those who were weak and weary and falling behind. Now, we are not likely to be attacked by desert warriors on camels. But the spiritual forces behind the Amalekites still attack us today. Behind all the attacks on God's people are spiritual forces at work to destroy And that's the battle that we are familiar with. It seems like trials or temptations always jump out of the tall grass when you're going through a difficult season of life. It seems like all those sinful tendencies that we have tend to rear their ugly head when life has worn us out. And those of you who have battled addiction are painfully familiar with this. It seems like Lot, it seems like we are attacked when we are at our most vulnerable. But we all struggle with this. Things at work are stressful. You've got a big project coming up, and you find that old anger coming back. And your car is not parked in the driveway, but 10 minutes, and you find yourself screaming at your family. Or maybe you, know, you are, find yourself returning to unhealthy habits or attitudes when you're confronted with uncertainty or fear. Or maybe you have a big decision coming up, and so you find yourself numbing yourselves with hours of television or online shopping. Or maybe something has happened that has crushed your dreams, and all of a sudden, all those nasty things that have ruined your relationships in the past starts coming back. This happens in life, right? When life gets difficult, temptation feels easy. Giving into temptation feels easy. When life goes bad, sin looks good. Why? Well, guess who's waiting in the tall grass, hoping someone starts lagging behind? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Illustrated in this story in Exodus is the simple truth that we see across Scripture. That the enemy often attacks God's people when they are weak and vulnerable. So the question we have to ask is, how then do we overcome? How do we overcome? And the next section in this story gives us that answer, that we overcome through the power that God provides. Look at verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Moses tells Joshua to go down and fight the Amalekites. But the interesting part of this story is that the focus is not down there on the battlefield, but up on the hill with Moses. All of a sudden, we as the reader are taken up on top of the hill with Moses in verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, as Moses ordered, and Aaron and Moses and Hur went to the top of the hill. So we learn very quickly that the battle is not taking place. The real battle is not taking place down there on the battlefield. But up here, with Moses and the staff. And we are given a bird's eye view of the battle, and we're watching it rise and fall, ebb and flow, with the movement of Moses' hands. See that in Verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So, why do they keep falling? Very simple, he's just getting tired. Look at verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until... Sunset. So Moses and Her see that, that um, I'm sorry, Aaron and Her see that Moses is getting tired, so they run over, they sit him down on a rock, and they hold up his hands. When they see that Moses is getting weary in the battle, they help him carry his burdens. I don't want to press this too far, but I think illustrated here is life in the body of Christ, at least the principle. It's right? basic as it gets, it's Christianity 101. You hold up your brother's or your sister's hands when they are too heavy. Or as Paul says to the Galatians, carry each other's burdens. Jesus had more in mind when he established his church, when he founded his church, than simply just people gathering once a week to listen to a sermon. No, he established his church so that we could give and receive Love from each other. He gave us each other because all of us get weary in the fight of faith. And there are a lot of weary people here today. Kids wearing you out. Job wearing you out. Unemployment wearing you out. Grief. Chronic pain. Suffering. Maybe you just transitioned or you're about to transition and the change is just wearing you out. Loneliness, cancer, school's wearing you out, your marriage is wearing you out. Some of you are even too tired to pray. And you don't know if you can face another day because your arms are so tired, but the battle keeps going on. And all you want to do is just sit down and have someone carry your burden and hold up your hands. And that's okay. There is no shame in that. Each one of us will be exactly where you are at some point in our life. So here's some advice Be vulnerable with trusted Christian friends, let them see it. One of the privileges and joys of committing to a local church family is that you have people you see regularly who love you, who can see when you're getting tired, and will sit you down and hold up your hands. Belonging to a local church family is a massive blessing from the Lord. And it's one that he might use to save your life. In the church, we hold up each other's hands, we carry each other's burdens. And Right now, we need each other. No secret that there are transitions going on here. So let me offer two humble pieces of encouragement for you as you approach this season in our church and all the transitions. Number one, stay. Don't leave. And I don't say that because I'm worried about paying the bills here or because I want a pastor in a church that looks really full and vibrant and successful. I say that because I don't want you to leave the family who will help you hold up your hands when they inevitably get too tired. And I don't want you to miss out on the blessing that so often comes at the end of a difficult season. Because if you run from the difficulty, you run from the blessing at the end of the difficult season. The Lord intends to use this season in our church in his love and wisdom and sovereignty to strengthen us. So let's stay together and see what he does. Let's not only stay together, but let's go deep. You know what I've been praying for as I've been studying this passage? That the Lord will rise up in this church an Aaron or a her for every tired Moses. That the Lord will use this season to help us be more aware of the people in our body than maybe we ever have before. And that we will love each other and care for each other and lean in and go deep. You know, we need some errands and some hers during this season. So if you would like to be one, call me. I'm serious. Call me. Because there are dozens of people who are just so tired and they need someone to hold up their hands. Now, for many of us, that feels way over our head, right? We think, you know, I, I always make a mess of those situations when I jump in. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's awkward. I'm not great at it. I understand that and I do that for a living. But you know what I've learned? You know what I've learned? We say that thing, but you know what the weary person is saying? I know you're not perfect. I know you can't fix all my problems. But what you have to offer is so much better than what I have right now because right now I have no one. So would you at least try to hold up my hands? And the Lord always gives grace to those who come with a servant's heart. You can be far more helpful than you think. So look for the tired people. God intends to use this season to strengthen our body, to grow our body. The Lord is always committed to his church, to building up his church. You know, God is working here. So let's stay together and go deep and be part of what the Lord is doing right now and will do in the future. So the battle depends on the posture of Moses' hands they got to stay up for, for Israel to win the battle. Well, what's up with the hands anyways? It's kind of odd. Some say the raised hands are simply uh, Moses encouraging the weaker Israelite army, and when the hands are lowered, it discourages Israel, and so they start losing. They turn Moses into a football coach who's, who's cheering on his players from the sidelines. I don't think that's what's going on. Some say the raised hands, it's a posture of prayer, and that's a far better solution. And I'm sure Moses was praying and praying fervently for his people, but I think there's more going on here, because remember what is in, in Moses' hand. What is it? The staff. We've seen the raised staff before in Exodus. Remember Exodus from Exodus chapter 9? When Moses raised out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent down thunder and hail. Or Exodus 14, the Lord says to Moses, raise out your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water. So the staff is a visual tool that teaches us this lesson. In the battle, God's power comes through the means that God provides It's not our strength not the size of our army our strategizing our experience or even our gifts the ray staff is sending this message god is winning this battle and when it falls it's sending this message you can't do this without god in the battle god's power comes through the means that god provides and this is true of israel against the amalekites and it's also true in the spiritual battle that we face You know, the New Testament writers apply the language of war in battle to the spiritual struggle we face against sin and temptation and the devil. We read that from Ephesians 6, beginning of the worship service. Let me just refresh your memory. You don't have to turn to Ephesians 6. I don't want to risk any paper cuts. Um, Let me just read from you about the armor of God. Listen to the war-like language. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power— So where do we get power to stand in the spiritual battle? Well, it comes through the means that God provides, and then Paul goes on to list them. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, the word of God. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all these, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the Christian life is lived in constant dependence on the power of the Lord that comes through his word, right? comes through his gospel, and comes through trust in his character And promises, it comes through faith. And when there's that sneak attack by the devil, we can stand our ground by putting on this armor. Because behind the means is the person. Just like clinging to the staff was like clinging to Yahweh, so clinging to the word of God is like clinging to Christ. You cling to the means he gives. It's like clinging to the person. So let's sum up everything we've seen. When faced with trials, we overcome through the power that God provides. So the battle's over. Israel won. God once again rescued his people, but there's one final thing left for them to do. Pause and take it all in. The Lord wants them to remember this day and this lesson because what was israel's problem what's our problem we keep forgetting the past so the lord wants them to pause because when you forget what he has done in the past you struggle to trust him in the present and in the future so the lord wants them to go the extra mile to remember what he has done you see that there in verse 14 when the Lord, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. First time, something it's, God tells someone to write something down. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Right? So write it down, make sure that Joshua hears it. The Lord uh, you know, wants them to remember something. Well, what's the Something. Of course, it's the day, it's the event, but it's also the promise. Look at the, the very last sentence of this chapter. Look at the end of chapter 6, uh, i sorry, verse 16. It says, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, that sounds kind of mean. Why is God ganging up on the Amalekites? But remember, these are not earnest, hardworking people just trying to make a living in the desert, but they are opportunistic warriors who prey on the weak and they serve as a warning to all those who would oppress God's people that he will use his power to protect his people. That's what he wants them to remember because they're going to face the Amalekites again. There's going to be another trial. And he wants them to remember this day and that promise The Lord brought them through this experience at a time when they were already weak so that he could sear this moment in their minds and in their hearts and make it part of their history. Because his people needed to know that the God who rushed in to deliver them and fight their battle through them will do it again and again and again until it is completely done. Look at the end of of, uh, verse 14 says, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. I'm not just going to win a battle. I'm going to win the war. Don't forget it. Write it down. Make sure Joshua hears it. Don't forget it. So what's the takeaway? The memory of past displays of God's power gives faith in future battles. The memory of of past displays of God's power gives faith, hope, and future battles. Notice that the Lord simply just didn't defeat their enemies. Remember the manner in which he did it. Israel is getting slaughtered on the battlefield until the tired arms of Moses are held up by his brothers. And what a symbol of dependence and weakness So what made this day so memorable was not that the Lord simply defeated their enemies. What made this day so memorable for the people of God was the visible, tangible evidence that apart from him, they could do nothing. And because of this trial, they had the opportunity to learn an important lesson. In the moments when they are weak and they cry out for grace, are the moments that God shows up with redeeming grace and rescuing power. And that is good news, brothers and sisters. That's a valuable lesson, but it only comes on the back of a trial. So you're feeling weary. You're in the heat of the battle. And you feel like if you go down any deeper, you will not be able to come up for air why are you doing this, Lord? Why now? Why are you doing this? I can't give you specifics. I don't know the secret will of God. I don't know the mind of God. But I do know that he allows things to come into our lives that expose our weakness so that he has an opportunity to strengthen our trust in him for the next round. When does God have our greatest attention? When our weaknesses have been exposed. Think back to all those times in your life when you remember clearly his intervening, his intervening power and grace, and we all have those moments. Maybe it's your conversion, right? Spares you in a car accident, right? About to lose your home, he shows up, he does something. We all have these moments where it was clearly the Lord. Now let me take a guess. Those moments did not come when you were feeling at your strongest, most self-reliant, and independent. They often come when we're weak, confused, over our head, out of options, right? And they're seared in our memory. And the next time we face a trial, the past memory of his faithfulness to us gives us hope to keep going. That's one of the purposes of trials. They provide hope in the future because we get to see him work. Paul says that clearly. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, be on page 1142 in your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Ready? Here's the lesson. What was Paul's takeaway? But this happened, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. Now notice what's gone on in Paul's heart. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. The memory of past displays of God's power gives hope in future battles because they teach us to rely not on ourselves but on the God who raises the dead. God makes the most valuable lessons, the hardest to forget, by using things that grab our attention the most. Trials that rely, that expose our need to rely on him. And when they're all over, you look back and you say, only God could have done that. I was too weak. And the next time you feel weak and are tempted to Doubt his power and grace. His past faithfulness stands as a a reminder in your mind that says he will do it again and again and again until it is completely done. One day, brothers and sisters, it will be done. And faith will become sight. And the trumpet will sound. And all will see him as Lord and King and Christ. He never wastes our weariness or our weakness, but uses them to strengthen our trust in his power and faithfulness for the next trial. So there's one way to approach God when you're in a difficult season of life. It sounds like this. is isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. That approach forgets the role and the good purpose of trials in the Christian life. Here's another way. Father, I am tired and I am weak, and I am confused, and I'm over my head. But I know you've brought this into my life to teach me to rely on you and not on myself. So would you give me the strength to fight the fight of faith and and help me to have the endurance I need as I cling to your word and your gospel and your people and wait for you to deliver me. That's a better approach. It can take a while to get there. So in your exhaustion, your fear, your disappointment, turn to him with humble hands and an open heart and receive the good lesson he has for you in this season of your life. And when it's all done, if you're listening, you'll hear him whisper something in your ear, just like Moses whispered in Joshua's ear forget this you can trust me you're going to need that for next time moses recognizes the significance of this lesson and so look what he does in verse verse 15 moses built an altar and called it the lord is my banner Throughout the Old Testament, uh, people would build altars to commemorate important moments in their life when God intervened. Just like we build monuments and memorials so that we can remember certain historical figures or certain events, they built altars. And of course, it's an altar, so it, it communicates worship. It was a time to pause and give thanks to the Lord. And look at the name of the altar. Altar. He named, he called it the Lord is my banner. So typically, the name of the altar, when you see these in the Old Testament, gives us a clue into the lesson, the takeaway from this moment in this person's life. So, what did Moses want us to take away? What did Moses want us to learn? What, what did he learn from the Lord? Well, he called it the Lord is my banner. Banner is a military term. It's is often a big pole that they would bring in battle and that's the rally point. It's the place on the battlefield that the troops would regroup. So in the noise and the fighting and the chaos of battle, it's easy to get pulled apart from your army, and if you got separated, you could easily be defeated. So oftentimes on the battlefield, they would regroup around the banner. Who does Moses say is his banner? It's the Lord. So this altar serves as a reminder that Israel rallied around their Lord in battle. They rallied around the visual symbol of his power and his presence, the staff. In the spiritual battle, we rally around our God. When the attack comes, we regroup around him. Of course, the visual reminder of our rally point, our banner is not a staff and an altar, but a cross and an empty tomb. And they stand as symbols that say victory over sin and the world and the devil comes through the hand of God. A hand that crushed his son to save his enemies and a hand that raised him powerfully from the grave. And just like God accomplished victory through weakness on the battlefield at Rephidim, he accomplished it through weakness on the battlefield. At Calvary, Rephidim, he did it through the tired arms of an old man held up by his friends. At Calvary, he does it through a beaten body and drops the blood of our Savior. And through a weak, shameful death, he offers victory to all those who would turn from their sins and bow before the banner of the cross. Our rally points. Cross the empty tomb. Symbols, memorials that remind us of the past, faithfulness, and power of God. So, no matter what attack comes, let's always remember these symbols so that we can face the next trial with hope and confidence as we rally around him. Amen. Let's pray. Our banner, our Lord, cause your people in this room to rally around you. Sear the gospel on our minds and in our hearts so that we can face this week with hope. Amen.